This is Life Made Better, a podcast from two coaches with a zest for not only their lives, but yours. In this series, Fleur and Lucia seek out tips, tools and exercises to inspire you to achieve your dreams and goals. Join us and let's make life better. Welcome back to Life Made Better, the podcast where we interview interesting people that not only inspire us, but so that we can find out how they made their life better and how we can learn from their story and challenges. Today, we're interviewing Nick Bradley, a leading entrepreneur, investor, and scale-up specialist, as well as the host of the UK's number one business podcast, Scale Up Your Business. From education and mentoring to strategy, implementation, investment, his focus is on business performance improvement. His mission is to help you go from startup to scale up and beyond to create freedom, build wealth and live life on your terms. I know Nick because he's my husband's business coach and I've seen the value of his work. I think what makes Nick unique as a business coach in this space is he helps entrepreneurs not only meet their financial goals, but family, health and happiness goals. As a wife of a very very driven, successful entrepreneur, this is of utmost importance. Of course, it's fabulous to have a thriving, lucrative business as long as you have time and energy for the other parts of your life. Lots of entrepreneurs often have a successful business, but their health, happiness or relationships are suffering. Thank you for coming today, Nick. We're so happy to have you. Yeah, thank you very much. That's a great introduction. It's funny when you're just talking about um, your husband, Rich. Yeah, I kind of, I sometimes forget all the different things that I do. Because <laughs> it's, no, it's focused on business, right? You know, that's broadly what I do. But then it, it, I always say it's about having a fantastic business, but then that affords you to have a fantastic life. So it's trying to bring those two things together. Yeah. And I remember about the very first session you had with him and when you set up his goals and he started, you know, talking about holidays into the future and, you know, making time for myself and his mom. And I just thought, brilliant. Finally, because <laughs> if I talk well, about planning ahead, it's like, oh my gosh, the holidays are a year ahead. Why are we talking about it now? Uh, it, it, it's, it, listen, you know, we, we won't talk about him because this is obviously going to be out into the world, but you know, it's, 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 it's a common trait with entrepreneurs and there's different types of entrepreneurs, but you can get so obsessed with your business because it becomes, it can be like your baby when you start it, you kind of, you know, try and look after it, try and control it, try and make sure it has the best start in life and all that sort of thing. But then you kind of forget that you've got all these other things. And more often than not, businesses fail because there isn't balance. There's a lot of other, a lot of reasons businesses fail. But if the entrepreneur gets overwhelmed, burnt out, stressed, loses um, an understanding of other priorities, then that can bring a business down super quick. Yeah, that energy, vitality to continue is huge when you have uh, big business goals. So Nick, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I, I'll give you the brief version of of the story, I think, because it, it goes on a bit. It goes on back from when I was a kid. I, I grew up in Australia. I grew up in a place called Adelaide in South Australia. And I started my first business uh, while I was at university, actually. So I was around 18, 19 years of age. And I was effectively working in a gym um, as a personal trainer. And this is like the late 80s, sort of early 90s, when personal training wasn't really a thing at all. Like you imagine it's like it's big now, but back then it hadn't really existed in the way it does. So I started um, my own personal training business, built that up and I sold it when I was 22 um, for a little bit of money, not heaps, but that allowed me to leave Adelaide and move to Sydney. And instead of following the entrepreneurial route, I decided to jump into the world of corporate and there's some reasons behind that. I think I got a bit scared of what entrepreneurship could lead me into. And I thought I'm not, I had this kind of limiting belief, which is I'm not an entrepreneur. So how have I done this? It's all crazy stuff. So I got into the world of corporate and I started working for a big media company down there, News International, which is um, part of Rupert Murdoch's empire. And I spent the next 15, 20 years working my way up into, into reasonably senior positions. So I was a board director before I was 30 had quite a lot of early success in that sort of area, but I was never really fully fulfilled. And if you knew me back then, you probably would have not wanted me on the podcast, actually, because <laughs> I, was, I was so driven in terms of how far I could climb the corporate ladder, you know, what job I could get, how much money I could make. And I was earning crazy money and, you know, big house and nice cars and all that. But I just wasn't a very um, nice person to be around because it was all about me. 
And as I was doing that, I moved into the world of private equity and private equity for people who don't know that that's kind of um, investment firms where they buy businesses that are undervalued and they effectively fix them up and then sell them for a significantly higher amount. And it's quite a lucrative world, but it's, it's almost if, if the world of corporate can be challenging and lots of politics and lots of egos, the world of private equity is another level. If you've ever seen the movie um, Wall Street with Gordon Gecko and that type of thing, it's, it's that sort of world, lots of, lots of money, lots of power, lots of status. So I ended up staying in that world for about eight years and I ended up having a bit of a breakdown. So we were doing a deal and I was never home. The kids had been born and were sort of, you know, early stages of their life. My wife had sort of, I wouldn't say she'd given up on me, but she was like, you know, this is what Nick does. We don't see him at all sort of thing. And one night I went to sleep and I remember waking up at four in the morning with, it looked like I thought, I thought something had happened to me. I thought I'd like fallen out of bed because all of my, my jaw here was just in absolute agony. I didn't know what was going on. And so I went to the bathroom and it was all swollen. It was like I'd been punched. And effectively what happened is I went to sleep. I had so much stress going on because we were closing a deal that I, I, I grinded my teeth on this right side and I broke two or three of the teeth, like cracked them. Crazy, right? And yeah, it was massive, huge pain. And I went to the doctor the next day. I didn't get back to sleep. I went to the doctor. He sent me to the dentist and the dentist said, listen, you've just, you've literally just grinded your teeth so badly that you've cracked it. And she'd only ever seen that once before with a similar type of person actually who had just so much stress in their life and they weren't acknowledging that stress. They just had this kind of physical reaction to it. And so it was at that point I thought, you know what, I can't do this anymore. And I kind of knew it was building up. It wasn't like it was just that one event. That was the culmination of a lot of things that had happened over maybe 12 to 18 months. But I thought, you know what, I can't do this anymore. So it was at that point that I decided to change everything. And I can get into that, but I'll pause there because <laughs> I'm like, I'm seeing your faces as we're talking and you're like, what? <laughs> that was a wake up call to the finest that I've seen. I mean, lots of fans say like, oh yeah, I was just feeling unwell and headaches and whatever, but you literally put yourself through the doctor. Out yeah. Of well, there were other things that had happened. So I, I, I was getting sick. I mean, I was, um, a pretty full-on athlete as well. I was doing um, marathon running and, and ultra marathons and all these different things. So I was I was putting my body to quite a lot of through a lot of stress anyway. Um, and and someone explained it to me once that it doesn't matter if it's emotional, mental, or physical stress. You've only got a bucket that's so deep. And once the bucket starts to overflow, then you'll start to see the repercussions. So I started getting sick. I started getting stomach issues, just pains in my body. My back was bad. And then and then this thing happened with my teeth. So it was, it was building up for sure over that time. I think mm. stress is a major alarm system, isn't it? And your body will always tell you yeah. eventually. Your mind will keep going and pushing and pushing and pushing, but your body will Yeah, your body tells you. you. Well, I, I think, yeah, I mean, what it was, right? And, and it, was, it wasn't really necessarily the, the work or anything like that. that. The environment wasn't the best environment to be in. But it was also the fact that I wasn't doing what I should be doing. So back to kind of purpose and mission and people kind of these days get so stuck into the rut that they think they have to go and take a job and, and have traditional employment. And, you know, most of them don't really want to do that. And you can see it on the faces of people commuting on the London tube. <laughs> they look happy. I think I was kind of in that space and I thought, you know what, I can't keep doing this. I don't want to have another 25 years of doing this. Hmm. Yeah, that wake up call sounded like it was needed. Yeah. Mm, yeah but that's because uh, you know obviously we know how successful you are right now and you know you just told us a little bit what was the beginning of that journey into entrepreneurship but many of us think about doing this and kind of like you know ditching the corporate world and going into uh, going and doing it solo um so what gave you the courage to do this obviously apart from that wake-up call but you could have easily thought I'm going to get myself another job in another company but well, why yeah change? I effectively did that as well and I'm going to explain what the process of what happened because I think it's quite powerful so if I go back to the entrepreneurship piece at the very beginning when I was 18 or 19 so the reason I struggled with the concept of continuing that business and I sold it I said I didn't make a lot of money I made enough money to go to Sydney was because when I was growing up I had, so my father left sort of our family when I was two and I didn't see him again until I was in my late thirties. 
I had lots of different stories about who he was as a person. And so and not, not very nice stories because obviously, you know, when, when marriages break up, it's, it is what it is. Right. Mm. So my grandfather brought me up um, kind of as the only male influence. I had my mum, but you know, and she got remarried, but I, I kind of got on really well with my grandfather and he came from a very old school sort of thinking. He said, listen, I want you to go and get a degree at university, but after that you can do what you want. But he, his whole thing was, you know, security and stability because he'd gone through his own challenges. So it was get a job, you know, that that's how you are successful. So I had that programming. So basically I, I thought, well, that's what I've got to do. That's what I've got to do. And then when I did meet my dad, eventually met my dad, I found out first and foremost, he wasn't anything like what I'd been told, which probably shouldn't be that surprising, but you know, he's a very, very charismatic, humble guy, had done so many great things for people in, in his life. And the funny thing was he was a really successful entrepreneur, like, and had the story just to kind of give it to you quickly, cause it's really, really full on. He had um, three sort of luxury jewelry stores in Melbourne in Australia and had built them up and was making you know millions from these these stores and then he lost everything in one week because there was a a a, a sort of i think it was the turkish consulate bombing in melbourne and his store his main store was on the same street and when that was blown up again we're talking years ago he lost that business and the insurance didn't cover it and so in his 40s, he had to go and start another business again. And he ended up doing that and then building that up to millions. So when I met him, I kind of thought, wow, hold on. The reason I'm frustrated is perhaps I'm a frustrated entrepreneur here. And I had this, I suppose, um, skill or mindset around that. So, so that happens, right? So I thought, well, hold on. I'm not doing the right. Now I met my dad. Now I'm not doing the right thing, perhaps, you know, because it doesn't feel like I'm doing the right thing. And actually I feel much more energy when I'm hearing the story of what he's doing than what I am doing. And so what I did is, you know, it's a long answer to your question, but hopefully the context is useful. <laughs> All right, go on. I'm loving this. I love a story. <laughs> yeah. So, so what I did is I called up a friend and um, he was a guy who retired in his twenties and he made a lot of money. He made, I think it was $60 million. And he was always a bit mad and crazy at university. I knew him through that time. He never used to go out with us drinking and he never did the sort of playing pool in the bars and all that sort of stuff. And I told him the story of what had happened. And he just said, listen, I'm going to give you one bit of advice. And he said, you can take it as, as you want, but I think this will help you. He said, I want you to go to a Tony Robbins event. And I thought, oh, Tony Robbins. <laughs> I read his books, right? I read his books when I was in my 20s, but thought it was a joke, right? Because the guy's so full on. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, but I, thought, I love you know Tony Robbins. I know well, somebody, but I do. <laughs> I love Tony Robbins now. I'm telling you, I love him now because I, I kind of embraced it. But basically, long story short, is I, I, I listened to my mate. Um, my wife and I watched um, this Netflix documentary that he's he's got on at the moment. I think it's called I Am Not Your Guru. Yeah. Straight after that, literally the night of that, I jumped on my computer. I found the next event that he was holding, which was um, Unleash the Power Within in Chicago. And I booked my flight and bought my ticket that night. And it was two weeks later. And so this is all in the space of probably four weeks from the teeth incident. So that's all very, very compacted. And so I went away to that event. Literally, it was the most transformational thing I've probably done. It'd been the top five things that have ever happened probably to me in terms of stuff, which is out there. And um, I remember crying my eyes out and just trying to work patterns out of different things. It was full on. So I made the decision to quit everything. Um, when I was there, but I didn't activate that decision straight away. Some people say, go and do it straight away. Burn the boat is the expression. And I wanted to be more strategic because, you know, I, my family had certain needs and I'd already built up an expectation of having quite a lot of cash. So I thought, okay, I'm going to make the decision. Now I'm going to give myself 18 months to execute that decision. And that's what I did. So I went and quit the job I was doing. I took another job. I took that job on the premise that I was, it would give me the flexibility to build the life that I have now. Um, started the podcast, started the vision of kind of what I wanted to be in terms of my own persona and identity and, and just went from there. But I never looked back. I mean, there was some massive changes even from that four days at that Tony Robbins event that stuck with me and have stuck with me since. So how long ago was that, Nick? It's probably four years ago now. Wow. Yeah. Four years. What so it didn't take very long. Four years. Massive. Well, yeah, I, I, I was working it out the other day. I was working out the other day. So what's happened since then? I've got, I own seven businesses. I've got 10 separate streams of income. Now I don't have any bosses. You know, I get to choose who I work with. I get to hang out with my family more. I get to exercise. 
that whole concept of life on on your own terms, which is what I try and help people achieve. I've wouldn't say I'm exactly everywhere yet because I'm always growing to try and you know learn new things and do more things. But it's a massive shift and change from where it was a few years back. You walk in the top. Me, you know, helps. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's there's a, there's a thing called learn, do, teach, leverage. Yeah. So you've got to learn what you need to do first, then you've got to do it, then you can teach it, and then you can kind of leverage it, which is I'm probably in the leverage stage to some extent because I'm building a number of different businesses which all fit neatly within the same concept of helping people grow their business, helping them scale up their life as well. Um, so it all fits under the one thing. You sound very excited about that. I'm curious to know where this drive comes from, though, because I can see right from college there was a huge drive inside of you. It's a, it's a good question because, again, it's another story. Because <laughs> I was, um, when, when my father left and that sort of first few years of growing up, certainly when I was sort of between five and 10, um, I, was, I could put a massive amount of weight. So the weight that I am now is sort of, in fact, I think I was like 10 kilos or 15 kilos heavier than I am now when I was eight. So I was like the fattest kid in school, I was massive. And I had to, I didn't have anyone helping me with that. So I had to transform that myself. I just kind of started reading books. I started kind of working out what I needed to do. And I I kind of transformed myself over the course of three or four years from being this fat kid who was, you know, crying in the toilets, being bullied at lunchtime Mm. to starting five of my basketball team in the rowing, in the rowing group at school, became an athlete actually over the course of four or five years. So I learned a playbook is probably the answer to your question. I learned that first and foremost, you have the power to change anything if you really want to do it, right? Most people know what they need to do, but they don't do it. So mm-hmm. first and foremost, it's that decision point. Second thing I learned is you don't have to do it all yourself. You have to kind of find the people who have the knowledge. Um, you have to learn how to do it and then you have to put it into action. I kind of realized that transformation led to good things at an early age because I had to. And therefore, I've just applied that same stuff all the way through. Hence the reason I've been pretty ambitious because I, I know that by improving myself in whatever way that is, has led to A, me feeling better, me being able to help more people and just having a much more um, fulfilling and rewarding life. Yeah, I think that for me, you put the nail on the head. It's about the fulfillment. I think there is a science of success, but not everybody meets that fulfillment. And no. I think that seems to be what you're putting out there and it just... Uh, well, that Remarkable. was the, that's the word. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I, people ask me this all the time and I say I had high achievement, but no fulfillment, right? Yeah. When I was, when I was mm-hmm. making, you know, mm-hmm. half a million a year as a private equity guy. And then now I have both. Yeah. But the, the key to fulfillment was contribution. Yeah. Yeah. So actually helping people. And, and, and as we were talking about before we started recording, that's become its own curse <laughs> a little <laughs> yeah, bit, yeah. <laughs> but, but to be fair, because I didn't do any of it beforehand, I was such yeah. a pain. Um, it's probably, <laughs> I probably deserve to get that back in that way. <laughs> well, they it's do say whatever's your, sorry, they do say whatever's your Achilles heel will also be your, you know, what holds you back or pushes you forward. Doesn't it? Yeah. You I had that passion true. to help. Yeah. Sorry, mm-hmm. Lucia. Now, I was going to say, because obviously there are plenty of people out there, as you pointed, that know what they have to do, but they don't quite brace themselves to do it. So is that your piece of advice is what you would say, like contribution, collaboration? What would you say to them, to all of those in the fence, not quite ready to make the jump? You've got to understand why it matters. There's a whole, the whole Simon Sinek stuff about start with why. I actually don't think it starts with why. I don't agree with him. I, I think you start with a vision and that's what I teach a lot of my clients because the whole, the whole point is you've got to have a, a, a destination or, or a place that is compelling enough for you to be able to do stuff to want to get there. Um, and I often say it's not about setting a goal and then trying to get to the goal. You've got to come from that goal, right? You've got to see what the world would be like. And so for me, it was like, okay, firstly, have that. Have that vision of what, what you want it to be know where your starting point is and then you've got the map or you've got the, the sort of pathway. So this is where you are. This is where you want to be. And then, then the key thing is understand why it matters. So for me, the leverage for, was my, I've got two young girls. So I've got a, a eight year old and a five year old. And I had a relatively challenging upbringing in terms of things like finances. My, my family weren't wealthy and that, you know, not that that matters to everything, but, but I kind of don't want my kids to go through that same or, or see the same struggle. So for me, it's about making sure that they have the best life they can. So every decision I make comes back to that and my wife and my family. Um, and that's enough to get me motivated to do the things I do. That's a huge why. 
<laughs> yeah, well, it is. I mean, so, you know, and I and I, I, I tell you, I mean, the, the context of it now is even my mum now, who's who's remarried, lives in Adelaide. Um, they struggle. They can't afford to jump on a plane and come and see their grandkids. So you know, yeah. I've I've brought them over here a couple of times, but I just don't want to be in that position. Yeah. Or even it's just not doesn't feel comfortable. I love the fact that you took your power back and realised that anything's possible if you're prepared to put the work in. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It is, and a lot of people. This is it's back to you know we talked a little bit about fear before. Every everything sits on 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 both sides of fear, everything, right? So someone who's not happy, like they'll you know let's say for example you're in a job and you're earning good money, it might be six figures or whatever else. You've got kids in private school, you've got big house. People won't make a decision to go and do something they really want to do because of the fear that they won't be successful in that and therefore they'll lose everything that they've built. So therefore they stay stuck in something they hate for ages. And that's partly confidence, it's partly trust, and it's, it's a whole lot of fear. But that doesn't help you longer term. Yeah. yeah, it doesn't help you longer term because you're going to look back. You know, I do, I do spend time with people, particularly when I buy businesses these days, I spend people who are in retirement sort of age in the 60s, 70s. And a lot of them, they, they, they do regret stuff. You know, they do look back and go, actually, I, I did this, but I didn't really want to do this. Reminds, now, partly me, that's, reminds me of the Bronnie Ware, Five Regrets of the Dying. You know, that, yeah. you know this, yeah, when you look back and yeah. wish you'd lived the life that you wanted to live. Yeah, and the reality of it also is, is whatever failure, and I don't believe in failure in the normal context, but whatever challenge you have trying to do something that you think is going to be rewarding and fulfilling for you is never going to be as bad as not doing it. But people yeah, again struggle with that concept. Totally, I totally agree. I think as a as a wife of an entrepreneur, and because I have a goal of making sure my children are really happy, I have to always. I feel with my business, give it a set time every day, and then the rest goes to the family. And I don't care how long it takes me to get to that destination; it will get there slower. But I still have that fulfilment of helping others, and the fulfilment that my family get what they need. So the why. Of course, I don't want to affect my children by giving my help to other people. So I have to get that balance right between the two. Because <laughs> two really busy entrepreneurs in one house, if you don't watch it, will have an effect. Yeah, you've got to be careful family. with it. You've got to be very careful with that. The, the, the upside, I think, though, is the um, subliminal message that's getting to your kids, though, as well, yeah. as long as it's balanced. Role models. Yeah, because yeah. again, you know, it's, it's, if you're following what you really love doing, it's your passion and whatever else, which both of you guys are, then that's a really nice lesson for, for kids to learn as well. Yeah, but they do need time and attention. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah. No. I've got my my two are super demanding in terms of that. They've they've got their own personalities. I can tell. Yeah. Exactly. We got three demanding ones. <laughs> That's go. back to Nick's point earlier, right? Is about choosing where are you going to be spending your time, and then I guess putting a balance. What's going to give you the most of it? What's what's the return on that? Because if what you want to ensure is that you want to spend however amount of time you you can see the quality time with your family then and if that is the most important thing for you that allows you that that gives you the chance to then look around and decide what you want to do with the other part of your time and ensure that whatever you're doing contributes to that and it does it does make you very effective your time because you know right i've got two hours what's the best use i can do in these two hours (laughs) everyone has that on that so everyone has that gift though right and this is the spend a lot of time with with all of my clients on this stuff because I work in in what we call a 90-day cadence. So it sounds somewhat technical, but it works very well in business as it does in life. But the whole point is if you work in kind of 90-day blocks, you don't have the luxury of of a week sort of, you know, just being a week where you just kind of don't get stuff done, right? So so every day matters. Now, that doesn't mean that you fill your day up with stuff that's not rewarding because, I mean, my days are filled up with exercise, time with the family, some work stuff, all the social media podcasting stuff I do, but it's very intentional. I show people my diary and it's, it's like everything is time blocked in 30 minute increments from when I get up at sort of 4.45 all the way to when I go to bed at sort of 9.30. And people like go, oh my God, that's like, like the machine. And it's actually the opposite. It's like, because if you look at what the time blocks are doing, the time blocks, I've got like, you know, three hour lunch with Carrie, my wife, I've got golf one week if I want to do it. I've I've got all these things in there. So I I just kind of just go into things that I like doing. But most people let their time get taken over by others. And and that doesn't work. You'll never get anything done if you if you allow that. Yeah. So it's just being intentional of your time, isn't it, by planning those increments by the sound of it. Yeah. 
Yeah. Absolutely. It does. And it works. But again, it's a discipline and, and it's, and it's a mechanic. People need to know how to do it. Um, but a lot of people don't, um, don't do that. They just kind of let time go. And it's such a precious commodity. That is quite an interesting point. And, you know, it could be a really good routine to help people achieve what they are trying to do and working so hard, but inefficiently to do. So is that uh, one of the routines that you apply to yourself, Nick? And, you know, do you have any other ones that help you with this strong mindset and to keep that energy and motivation going? So I cover things when people say to me, what's, what's the sort of blueprint or formula for sort of success. And I focus again back on business. That's where I, I sort of have most of my things. I say, you've got to have three components or three pillars. So the first one is mindset and underneath mindset is where I categorize vision and purpose, goals and outcomes and habits and routines. And so, so by that, I mean, back to what I said beforehand, you need to know where you're going and you need to know what your starting point is. Right. And if you don't know those two things, it's impossible to set effective goals because goals, what, if you think, what are goals? Goals are really only milestones to achieving the longer term thing you want to achieve anyway. So let's say, for example, I want to have, you know, businesses worth, you know, hundreds of millions of pounds. I want to have, you know, these, these um, material things like uh, these cars or these houses. I want to have these experiences with my family. Right. And I want to have all of that over a certain time frame. I want to be able to have some way of mapping or measuring my progress along that trajectory. So that's what a goal is. So I always say to people, set your goals um, in terms of results. Don't set them as kind of wishy-washy things. They need to be results. So what's the result that you need to achieve to get to your vision? And then the other thing I do is I say, set your goals for the year. But again, your vision might be three to five years out, but set your goals for the year, but don't overwhelm yourself with too many of them. So it's a lot of people end up with like 25 goals. And I say, well, don't do that. Just, you know, what are the, the five things that are going to make the biggest difference to you this year? And they can be across a number of different areas and then break it down. So now forget that. And now think about the next 90 days. Okay. So you've set, a, you've set your five goals for the year. What progress can you make in the next 90 days? Um, that's going to kind of move you forward. So it's about progress, not perfection. Then we get super granular. Okay. So now you've got your week. Let's plan your week in advance. That's where I get my crazy color coded diary from. And then I always go to sleep the night before looking at my next day to make sure that everything I'm focused in on that day, as best it possibly fits, aligns to my five bigger goals and the things that I'm trying to move forward over those 90 days. So if you look at my diary, you would see the goals I'm working on for the year, you'd see the 90 day progress on those goals. You'd see every single day would be moving those goals forward in different ways. And that's how I do it. That sounds uh, like you do have to spend quite a lot of time planning. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's in the planning. It, it sort of is, but it's really, it's quite simple because, okay, there's a bit of planning at the beginning of a year. Um, and that should be fun so that you need to kind of, I always think, you know, the, the end of a end of the year, start of a new year is a nice time to rebase a bit. But I work on five-year blocks, so I have like a five-year vision and I know exactly where I'll celebrate my 50th birthday, right? So I've got all that mapped out. It's all done. I know who I'm inviting. I know how I'm going to get there. It's an incredible amount of detail. But I do that at the beginning of a five-year block and then I set goals for the next year that are moving me towards that. But back to planning, I spend an hour planning the week on a Sunday. It takes an hour. I do it in the morning, first thing have a coffee, if it's nice weather, sit outside and I just plan the week. I know what my goals are, so I just schedule them, schedule everything um, and then it's done. And then I review it every night, but I don't really change much. And then I know what my progress is that week and then I know that I'm going to be achieving my whatever my outcomes are for that 90 days. Sounds very efficient. Yeah, it works. It <laughs> yeah, works. Yeah. Well, well, if you think about it, what is what is a goal, right? You know, and, and you think it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, a dream with a deadline to some extent. So if you don't, if you don't schedule anything, how are you ever going to achieve what you set out to achieve? Yeah. And I think that's what happens. And then time runs away with people, doesn't it? They think, oh, we'll do it next week. Or it's the same with fitness. I'm hugely into fitness. And, you know, I think people always think, oh, I can do it next week. But when you haven't trained for about a year or two, it becomes very difficult so they just got to do something and start. Well, that's why the 90-day thing is important. So what I say to people, a lot of people, particularly businesses, work on these 12-month cycles, right? And the problem with the 12-month cycle is you've got effectively 40-odd weeks in a year, and so in a business year. So you can kind of have a, a two-week period out of those 40 where just psychologically, if, if you're not progressing, you kind of you let yourself off. You don't mean to. You go, oh, I've got 40 weeks, so it doesn't matter about this week. 
Whereas if you're working in a 90-day, 12-week block, every week matters. So one week in 12 weeks is significantly different versus one week in 40. When I'm listening to you, I'm thinking that, you know, I was a deputy head teacher before, and that's how we used to plan for the school. We used to plan, you know, we used to know what our vision is by the end of the year, but we used to plan in terms. So it used to be uh, in half terms. So it used to be like a 90-day. Yeah, and it, works, work, it works brilliantly. And then we'd break it down to the weekly of what the kids had to learn each day. So it's the same thing, really, actually. It is, it yeah. is. And, and, and I, hadn't, you know, I haven't heard it expressed like that before. But, yeah. but, but the, the concept is such a simple one. If, if you don't schedule with things yeah. um, aligned to what you're trying to achieve, how do you ever expect to get them done yeah. or, or get there? And can you imagine in a school if we didn't do that? Because then they don't have gaps and they're learning ready for the next year. So you were so scheduled on every single lesson what the children had to learn. It's the same thing. You don't you don't allow anything to go. You're so intentional about your time. That's right. Exactly. And discipline, discipline equals freedom. You know, so yeah. some people think discipline equals control and, and repression and all this sort of stuff, but it's the opposite. And you just got to get your mindset around what that is because it, it's, it sounds like uh, it's very structured. It probably sounds overwhelming as people will listen to this podcast, but it doesn't take me much time. I have a method. I have a, I have a, a way of doing it, which, you know, I had to learn, but I spend an hour a week doing it. And I then the rest of the time's done. It's like teaching when you first go into teaching, you know, and I also train teachers. People find it really hard, but you get into a habit of it and it becomes normal. It just <laughs> yeah. becomes, that's why I call it a 90-day cadence, yeah. you know, the whole idea of a cadence because, you know, it has a, a, rep, a repetitive nature to it. It just becomes something you do. You just get up in the same way you, you wouldn't think about brushing your teeth. You do it, right, morning and night, you know, and it's the same thing. Well, it's what you were saying is the same as exercising, is the same as dieting. The first time that you're going to try it, it's going to suck. It's called my French. It's going to be a challenge and it's going to be difficult. But then it's just getting in the rhythm. I'm sure the first time that you sat down and start trying to do that planning, it took you hours instead of one because you didn't know where to begin. Now you know where your goals are, you know where you want to be. And it's all a matter of, okay, what are the next steps doing this? So obviously it's going to become easier. So anybody listening to us today, it gets easier. You can't do it. It's going to be a challenge. You're just going to struggle first, but it does get easier and it does get your life back. That's right. And the secret, the secret to it, just to kind of give people this, is don't do too much. So, you know, I said before about having five goals maybe or five big things you want to achieve in a quarter. Have three if, if that's too much, but three things that you're actually going to do because <laughs> you're better off just doing three things and making them happen than having 20 things that you don't make any progress on. And again, people get overwhelmed and they think if they miss, if they miss something or they fall backwards, then the whole thing needs to stop. Um, and you're better off just chipping away at a few things that make a big difference or will make a difference to what you're trying to achieve. Always reminds me of the Shawshank Redemption, how they got out of the prison when they just chipped away day by day. That's a bit of my philosophy. I will keep it going. Is. I will keep going. I will get there. It's the analogy. It's, it's the whole, um, you would have heard this before and you've probably used it. It's the planting the seed. You don't expect to see the results straight away. You see the tree after a number of years of watering it and everything else. And that's exactly the same thing. It, it compounds though. So over time, you know, there's a point where you don't have to do it anymore. So the tree is big enough to look after itself. And that's kind of what you're trying to do with businesses. You're trying to get the business to, to be like that. But at, I suppose the foundation of any business is the leader. This is where it kind of works. And I don't talk about it directly. So you, you go off to your husband now, Flo, and you go, I know how he does it. But, <laughs> but the reality of it is if a leader of a business, and that could be not just the person running it, but the leadership team, the people who have to then inspire all the other people, it, it kind of comes down to who you are and your identity. So the more that you can be intentional, like the way I'm describing, the better your business will be because you'll bring those same standards and those same behaviours into the business. It's just exactly like bringing up children. They, they copy what you do, isn't it? Oh, yeah. You're the it role is. model. You create the culture and the culture. A chaotic it? leader of a business, someone who's stressed, overwhelmed, will have a chaotic, stressed, overwhelmed business. Yeah. And the opposite is true. Yeah. It reflects, and I think that's something, especially for entrepreneurs, is so very important to understand because people seem to think of, of your life and your business as to detach things. And in a way, they should be. But also, whatever you're going through in life, it's going to reflect in your business. Whatever is happening in your business, it's going to reflect in your life. So I think it is very, very important to keep an eye on them both and keep that balance on them both. Because otherwise, you're going to end up, as you were saying, being a leader in both the scenarios where you're just going to run around like a headless chicken and get no resource whatsoever. Yeah. And everyone knows that's the, that's the other thing a lot of the times I work with, with business leaders, CEOs, and, and, and they don't think people know, 
They're like, oh, no one knows that. I say, Every, everyone knows. You know, everyone can feel it. I mean, I've been into, even through this whole kind of COVID stuff, I've been into uh, Zoom calls in different businesses I've been involved in. And, and you can feel the tension or you can feel the mood, even though you're not physically in the room. <laughs> right? So so people know, you know, and, and again, a lot of it's about self-awareness um, as being the thing that unlocks stuff as well. Yeah. People feel people's energy, don't they? They know whether they're relaxed or whether they're holding it together or, you know. Yeah, yeah I believe that. I believe that massively. Yeah. So, Nick, what are the best resources that helped you along the way? You mentioned the Tony Robbins Power Within. Yeah, Unleash the Power Within. As much as I kind of went from someone who probably thought I don't want to even get any, any, anything from Tony Robbins to someone who now sort of thinks, thinks of him as a mentor. I don't over push it, but I think if people feel like they need to sort of rebase, let's say, let's say they're in a position where they might be in a job or they might be in a place where they, they need to rebase. I think it's a good starting point. It's a very powerful starting point. That's, that's the first place I tend to channel. And you can listen to some really good stuff by people like Jim Rohn, who was kind of Tony Robbins' mentor. But all of that almost practical psychology stuff, understanding how you work, understanding about how different things in your past may have programmed you, et cetera, then that's, that's always a good place to, to, to play, so to speak. But there's a couple of really good books I recommend to people, and they're a bit out there, but they're, they're really powerful. One is um, a book called The Surrender Experiment by a guy called Michael Singer. And I love Michael Singer. Okay, so yeah, <laughs> I was going to podcast on Michael Singer. <laughs> oh, okay, so people will know. So it's a great book for people because, again, it's the opposite of what most people do. It's like most people feel they have to control their lives, but what happens if you just kind of just let things be and you you're present, you show up, you know, you, you do you work hard, you kind of you don't just kind of just do nothing, but you don't try and control every outcome. So that's a really good book around that. And in terms of uh, the 90-day cadence and routines and habits, there's a couple of books I like. So first one is called The 12-Week Year, which is by a guy called Brian Moran. And that's similar to what I, I do, but I've got a few different nuances to it. But it's the same concept. It's about how you can get all your things achieved in 12 weeks versus 12 months. Amazing. It's a nice, nice playbook. Um, and the other one that I, I like, back to kind of people's routines and habits, is I like the, the book by Howard Elrod, which is called The Miracle Morning. Now, it's a, it's a little bit kind of, you know, American and rah-rah and all those sort of things, but it, it's a nice little playbook. You'll be pleased for... to know I bought that from Richard. He's actually reading it at the moment. <laughs> oh, there you go. See? Do you know what? I love it. I, 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 have a, I have a hybrid of that recommendation, that routine recommendation is what I do every single day. And I have, and I have for years. So it's I always start my day with with a routine that makes me feel primed for the day, psychologically, emotionally, whatever, that makes my day significantly easier. Yeah, I'm absolutely with you. I can't do anything until I've meditated, until I've ate well, until I've exercised, until I'm in my zone and then I'm I'm good to go. And I think, you know, people have to remember that. They really need to look after their, themselves if they're going to have their, these big goals, I think is so important. So Nick, is there anything you still want to achieve? Yeah, there's a, there's a heap of stuff. <laughs> yeah, obviously. But what is kind of like the next big achievement for you? That uh, you know how I talked about sort of five-year um, visions and all that sort of stuff. I also have a 20-year vision, which kind of goes a long way out. And and there's some stuff I want to do there. So everything kind of ladders back to that. I suppose the focus, to your question, the focus has been doing more stuff in the US. So that's been a big focus this year, even though we have had challenges around travel and all that. And that's partly because... A lot of the message that I have, not, not to say it doesn't work in the UK or Australia or those other places, it just has resonated well there. And I think the blends of both personal and professional development um, is more, let's say accepted, but it just has a, a better hearing over there. So I've been focusing a lot on launching the podcast properly over there, speaking um, on podcasts and speaking on stage um, over there. Um, so that's going to be the big thing because I think, again, it's just going to open up a lot of different avenues. And the second thing I do a lot of is buy businesses. So I'm always looking for businesses that are undervalued, uh, that I can buy for a reasonable price and then scale them up using all the methodology and thinking that I do with the businesses that I work with on a sort of consultancy and coaching basis as well. That sounds very exciting. Why would you recommend someone gets a coach? What do you think the main benefits are? Because I know coaching is not so big in the UK as it is. I think people are starting to realise the benefits. But what would you say have been the main benefits 
I have to this day a coach and, and a couple of mentors. And the difference for me is the mentors are kind of more practical, maybe more skill rep, skill based. So if I need to learn a new skill in an area that I'm trying to improve on, then I'll go and get someone who's done that before to a high level and I'll pay them, if you like, or invest in myself to try and fast track the ability for me to learn that. Coaching is similar. At the moment, my coach is working with me on, on how I can work more deeply with the clients that I have because sometimes you find it's fine to help them on the practicalities of things, but you need to go a little bit deeper to unlock different things. And the only way you can do that is you've got to go deeper in yourself first. So every, everything's a pattern back to you half the time. I call it mirroring. So, so having a coach, you can't achieve really, really good success you know, achievement fulfillment, as we've spoken about, unless, unless you have help and support. And it was funny the other day I was listening to a, um, a recording with Arnold Schwarzenegger, just, just randomly. And, uh, he was saying that, um, every time he goes and speaks somewhere, someone says to him, oh, you know, you're a self-made man, Arnie, you're a self-made man. And he, he always sort of says, listen, you know, I've been successful, but I'm not self-made. And he talks about all the opportunities that opened up for him through his whole career, everything. He, he culminates by saying, you know, he wouldn't have been the governor of California had not, you know, X number of million people voted for him. So it's not self-made. And so, so my view on coaching is, you know, if you want to get somewhere and you've got a really clear vision and you've got the, you know, that desire to do it and the whys there and all the things we spoke about during this, this conversation, then you need to get someone to help you do it. It's impossible in my mind to do it by yourself. You might get there eventually, but it's going to take you a long time or you might get somewhere else that isn't where you want it to be because you try to do it all. You try to work it out and it's just not efficient, um, let alone effective. And it can become so stressful. That it's just not worth the effort. So you're better off finding someone who can help you do it. Yeah. I think it's about that method, that mindset and the motivation that the coach can give you. And like you said as well, they can, they can get you to see things that you probably haven't seen and also if they're in that if you know we're in that space all the time all we're doing is learning 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 how can we make people more successful yeah and I think also if you think about it I I, I you know look at the world of sport you know the greatest athletes have coaches and they always yeah. have and no one questions it mm-hmm. <laughs> no one questions it at exactly. all so why would that not apply to obviously in my area of business and certainly why would that not apply to someone who's got any any goal it doesn't have to be a business related goal. Why would you not? I think the other thing is, is coaching gets a bit of a bad rap. It hasn't necessarily got some, some regulation to it. I don't personally think you, it needs to have that, but you've got to have two things. You've got to have the sort of rapport and the relationship with someone because it's a, it's a personal thing regardless of, of what's going on. And you have to work with someone who's got the credibility to be able to help you get the results. And, and sometimes think- I think those things are clouded. Do you think it's also because people accept that going to the doctor if you've got a headache is a thing that you've got to do, but people are in a way a bit less inclined to face or admit that they were, cha- they were challenged or they were struggling with something. And so accepting that you need a coach is a bit more uh, difficult to put out there, let alone to share that you've done it. Yeah, I think it's it all comes back to fear as well. I think people, people kind of... Uh are sort of just afraid of what they might find out, you know, about themselves. We're sort of all complex in various ways, aren't we, right? We've all got different experiences that have shaped who we are. Sometimes that can be really challenging for people to open that door. They don't want to, they don't want to go there. So therefore, that's one of the reasons why people <laughs> won't do it. And then there's the fear of, uh, you know, I don't want to spend money on that because I'm not going to get a return on it. It's not, it's, sometimes it's not a tangible thing. And again, it, it, people don't understand it. So, but all, all of the things I've done, I suppose, in my career, even before I got into what I do now, I had coaches back in my corporate world and they were incredibly powerful, just even as a sounding board, just to have someone to talk about stuff with is, is important. And I think people just need to understand that, you know, we all need that in different ways. The more you keep it in your head, the harder it is. Yeah, hugely. I totally believe that. So, Nick, what is the one question you wished we'd had asked you? that we haven't oh i like coaching questions <laughs> um oh, i'll give you a full-on one what is it what is it that um you don't want people to know about you 
Is that redirected to us or to you? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, well, I, I always, if you're going to ask me that question, I think you, I, I better respond with a difficult question <laughs> or a challenging one because I could give you an easy one. I could say, you know, what colour is the car you drive or whatever, right? Yeah, but I like that question. I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know if I can answer it, not, not because I don't want to. I just I haven't answered that myself yet. I'd need to reflect yeah. on that question. But I, yeah. someone, someone, I heard someone ask that question to someone else the other day. And I thought it was a really powerful question. Yeah, it's a very powerful question. Because there's sometimes there's things inside that you're either embarrassed, ashamed about that sometimes that vulnerability is such a strength that it can help other people. But yeah, it's about right. confronting it. So I don't know how I'd answer it, but <laughs> but it's a really have powerful. A go? You don't want to have a go? <laughs> oh, let me have a think. Um you know what? It's funny, right? On my journey, I've I've become so much more comfortable sharing my story now. There would have been a time where, you know, if I said I cried in a Tony Robbins event for three days, I wouldn't have wanted people to know that because I would have felt that made me look weak. Yeah. I suppose, okay, so I'll share this with people because it's a relatively vulnerable point. So when my, my, I told you my father came back into my life in my late 30s. He came back very quickly and then he, then he died very quickly. Wow. So he got cancer and died within about 18 months, really, of kind of really, really connecting. And I remember not really feeling any emotion when he died. And I'm kind of now connecting more with that as I kind of understand who, who I am in a bit more of a deeper way. But I really struggled with that, that thought because I didn't have much of a relationship with him, but I had a pretty intense one when he came back. But for whatever reason, I couldn't connect that emotionally. So I kind of think, when's that going to, when, when am I, when am I going to, when's that going to hit? Cause it's going to hit some point. Mm-hmm. Whatever we keep down, Bob's back up at some stage. Yeah, so so I don't mind people knowing it. So it probably yeah. doesn't answer the question, but <laughs> it's it's an interesting. It's something that kind of I think about sometimes, not all the time, but I think about sometimes, thinking, why did I have that reaction? Why did I repress that? So yeah, it's good that you're still inquiring on it, though. The answers don't always come straight away, do they? There's, well, they can be years. I know. Yeah, I know some people who are ask, answering this, asking themselves the same questions for like ten years. Mm-hmm. It's about you know, giving yourself time for that reflection. I yeah, think. and I think that's that's <laughs> one of the important points. A good coach can do that for you. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's one of the. But I think that's one of the things about coaching because we, you know, obviously talking about it is the expectation from coaching isn't that she, people should have to answer those questions. And I think sometimes there is that feeling that they have to. But I, but I agree. A, a really powerful question might be something you have to reflect on for a long time, and you just have to let it sit. You know, before before you start to, you know, you probably feel it or feel the answer. Yeah. Or do some unconscious writing on it, release writing. Or go and or... take those those random drugs they do over in South yeah. America. Aloha. I've never done that. I've never done that. But I do hear that it's, a, it's an experience. Yeah, I've been listening to people that have done it and, you know, blogged it. You know, I don't know if you know Luke's story. Uh, the, the stylist. The stylist. Huge. Yeah. Huge in America. He's amazing. But he blogged his when, when he did it, actually. Oh, wow. And it came back to actually being left as a baby, taken away from his mum straight away, and how that wow. had given him fear of not belonging. Not yeah. That attachment. Yeah, but I listened to hours of his um, experience. <laughs> but I'm, in, I'm such a curious person, so I, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge learner. So, Nick, we're going to have two more questions for you before we let you go. Sure. So the first one is, can you sum up in one sentence how have you made your life better? Yeah. Okay. So, does it have to be a sentence? Yeah, has to be a bit of a longer <laughs> sentence. We do get paragraphs. <laughs> People say sentences, and then I'll give off. you. I'll give you one word. Oh, how's okay. that? Okay, But I'm going to contextualize the word. Okay. So the one word is courage, and I had it tattooed on my ankle when I left Sydney to move to the UK in 2003 literally two weeks before I jumped on it. And I had it tattooed on my ankle because I thought, you know what, the, the way to have the, probably the best possible life that I can is to face any fear that sits in front of me. But you know what's really funny about that? I, I, I kind of, I don't massively into tattoos or anything like that, don't judge them, but it's the only tattoo I've got. It's funny that it's that word, but it's been probably the word that's defined my life and my experiences above anything else. But it was an unintentional linkage certainly certainly wasn't a conscious linkage yeah 
So I would say that's the word, that's the, the, the sentence, because the more you can face your fears, the more you can kind of do the things that challenge you, the more you grow. And from growth, I think, you know, the other side of that is an outstanding life and outstanding lifestyle. Yeah. And I think it goes back to actually what we need is growth and contribution. And that's what you're, you know, that's our, our spiritual needs. And I think, you know, that's what you're doing, which is probably why you're feeling so fulfilled. It's a beautiful word. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I love it too. I, I've, I've learned to, and I think if when I, when I coach people myself, I'm usually coaching them to step into their courage, usually in different ways, but that's probably, it underpins all, all the stuff that I've done. It underpins how I help people as well. Yeah, and it underpins that fear and the fact that we're, our brain is actually there for survival and it isn't there to thrive. So it's, we're always having to work <laughs> against it, <laughs> which is why we do need the courage. So one last question for you, Nick, is where can we find you? If people want to connect with you, hopefully put themselves forward for being coached by you, where can they do this? Yeah, so I, I, I mean, the first place I always say is listen to the podcast because I think people, people will get a sense of whether it's for them or it's not for them. So that's scale up your business very accessible on every channel. So I, Apple Podcasts, go there, go to Spotify, go there, doesn't matter. It's um, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's, you know what? And I love doing it. And I, and as I said, I, I, it's, it's, I get a lot of value out of it personally because it just makes me, it kind of, it's almost cathartic doing the episodes. So that's that. And then I've got a community on Facebook now, Scale Up Your Business Community, which is, you know, a few thousand strong. And that's a really, if, if people are struggling with their business and they just want to get into a, a group of people who can kind of just share the same challenges and opportunities, then that's a really good, vibrant community. And then I just say, reach out to me on um, LinkedIn. I've got a website, which is nickcbradley.com, but LinkedIn's the easiest. I tend to be on there the most and people can just send me a message, um, connect with me and all that sort of stuff. I'm always happy to, to help where I can with the caveat being that I get a lot of people, thankfully or gratefully these days doing that. So if I'm not the quickest to return, I apologize for that. <laughs> We'll make sure we put all those in the episode comments as well. So it's just one click away from connecting with you. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much for being so honest and vulnerable and, and truthful to your journey. I think our listeners are going to get so much out of this. And we really thank you for coming on and giving our audience so much value. And thank you to all our listeners for joining us for one more week. Thanks for showing us your love and appreciation. And please share the love. Share this podcast with anyone you think will benefit from it. Like it, leave a comment and subscribe. And we look forward to seeing you next week. And in the meantime, stay well, stay safe and stay inspired. Much love.